Welcome to Twisted Plot Podcast. Here is your host, Evelyn Marley. Good morning, everybody. I don't know about you guys, but I just couldn't sleep last night. I find this whole new world learning process, and basically, sometimes I sleep, sometimes I don't. I never really had any problems sleeping before, but here we are. So I'm up. It's about 5.47 a.m. in the morning. I woke up at 5, which isn't too bad. I'm pretty sure that everyone really gets up this early, but I'm just not used to it. So um, I want to tell you a little bit about my guest today. His name is Ian Spencer. He's a reality TV therapist, and I could have talked to him for hours. He was just so interesting. I was happy to have him just go in and out discussing the uh, intricate you know, intricacies of reality television and how it affects the actual reality star. So if you like reality TV, you're going to like this podcast, I promise. Uh, The other interesting fact is that he works on Vanderpump Rules as an editor. So there is a lot of fun facts that he gives about his experience editing for television, reality television, and specifically Vanderpump Rules. I really think you guys are going to like this. And I do have a question for you, though. Uh, If you guys like the recaps, can you please let me know if you don't? I know that a lot of you listen to different podcasts, and I don't know if you're just overloaded on the recaps or not. Like if you like different content, I can put out some different content. Just send me a message in my Instagram DM, which is at this one's for you tonight on IG. All right. I don't think there's too much more. I just want to let you know that I want you all to have a great day. Stay safe, stay inside and just try and stay sane. And if you ever need to talk, send me a message. Enjoy the episode. My guest today is a Los Angeles-based therapist who provides therapy to reality TV stars, influencers, and YouTube stars. His extensive background and experience as a reality TV content creator himself gives him unique insight into the depths of reality perception. Not only has he been in the reality TV industry for 25 years, but he also has direct experience working on none other than our cherished Vanderpump Rules, which I know you're all very excited about. And I'm pleased to welcome Ian Spencer, creator of the Reality TV Therapist, I have the same reaction from people when I tell them I'm going to be talking with you. Uh, They all respond with like a gasp and then like, oh my God, I have a thousand questions. And I'm like, just get in line because I have a million. So um, (laughs) I I guess- Well, first of all, uh, Evelyn, thank you so much for the intro. I mean, that was a a wonderful intro. I I feel already comfortable and ready to do this thing. Oh, that makes me so happy. Now you have uh, a- an amazing website, therealitytvtherapist.com that I was looking over, you know, when I, I wanted a little bit more time just so I can go over those articles that you wrote. It's very interesting. And I highly recommend that everybody that's listening go and check out his website because the perspective that you give is just, I mean, I, I, I want to jump in so many different directions right now because I'm so excited to talk to you. Let's just leave well, it at that. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And I and I, I I feel the same way. I did this career, you know, edited for so many years. It was it was such a core part of my identity and was structured my entire kind of reality 
even the way I think and the way I do other things, like editing is such a wonderful skill for developing your focus because it's a task-oriented type of job that you have to do 10 hours a day. But um, it was only I, I never thought that I would apply um, you know, my psychotherapy training to the dark arts of reality TV. But it, it, it kind of clicked one day. I was like, oh, my God, this is like a problem of the times. Like people you know because you're a fan, people have no idea how many layers – are actually involved in pop culture, right? Let alone reality TV, which is a, a sort of pop culture on its head where the um, people, we're used to watching people who are pretending to be somebody else, but instead all of a sudden we're watching people who are paid just to be themselves. And um, so, you know, when I look at it from a therapeutic point of view through the lens of, of my new profession as a psychotherapist, um, there's a whole other set of problems and stuff that arise from it that I think are germane to like our current age. Like we're all like one click away from, you know, going viral or having an army of trolls attack us or someone to have a really wrong impression of us. Even, you know, on our bad days, we might say some heinous stuff that could make the whole world hate us. And it was really just one bad moment in our day. But anyhow, that's, that's me. Go ahead. And just to touch on that a little bit, there's this idea of cancel culture. It's a word or phrase that's been floating around uh, more recently. I've heard it. It's been coming up. Cancel culture, cancel culture. Now, I bring that word or term up into my everyday life and people are like, what's cancel culture? So I don't know if it's just something that I'm just seeing more myself and it's just on my radar. But um, the idea that somebody might, like you said, have a bad day and then they go on and they say something on social media or wherever and and then all of a sudden it is like lynch people after this person they go down a deep dark hole and then they come out with you know oh i'm sorry and then can the audience forgive them are they going to be willing to not cancel them completely and i just wanted to know your perspective on cancel culture as it is today in the reality tv world well i think um and everything I, I, I'm going to say, I'm going to try to connect it to the, to the realm of psychotherapy. Um, you know, I think cancel culture, uh, cancel culture in many ways is, you know, one of the guardrails. You know, it's the way we shame our fellow citizens into a way of right action and right thinking for the time. And right now, um, identity, you know, politics is, is the word of the day. And, and, and for some people, that, that alone drives them crazy, this idea of identity pro uh, politics. But identity is everything. You know, our tribal associations, whether we're in a red state, a blue state, whether we're, you know, support the LGBTQ community, whether we're vegans, whether whatever it is, these, this stuff is vitally important to how we sort of separate ourselves from others. And then, you know, I remember, I think it was two years ago, or a year ago, there was some awful, clearly racist uh, uh, on one end of the spectrum and just super insensitive and unwoke on the other end of uh, a UCLA student who posted some sort of thing that went viral when she was bitching about the Asian community at UCLA and, and saying somebody's mother smelled or some kind of crazy sort of stuff. Anyway, she was like promptly canceled and all kinds of memes that went chased after her, all kinds of trolls, all kinds of funny, you know, sort of defensive posts and offensive posts. Anyhow, she ended up with a nervous breakdown, had to drop out of college and, and I, who knows what happened to her. Um, you know, unfortunately, she never got the opportunity to um, have a change of perspective. Plus, we don't actually know her perspective. We just caught her in that one moment because of the way tech is, she was able in one little quick, you know, I don't know what if it was a live stream or what it was, was able to run her mouth off with some poorly chosen ideas and words. And that was the end of her. And it's like, so on one hand, I, I think, yeah, you know, this is the power 
that you unleash if you unknowingly step into the realm of social media where forever we'll be spreading out this one little sliver of who we are. I don't know about this person. You know, she might actually be a very well-balanced, kind person who for some reason uh, this shadow dark side of her popped out. Or she might be some racist white chick, you know, but we'll never know. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of the listeners have been going through their Vanderpump Rules cast members who there have been some that have come out. I'm sure you've heard them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I think their main thing was that, oh, well, if you're going to have this guy say those racist things, then we don't want to hear them. And so I think they were noticing that maybe he hasn't been doing more talking heads or more of the interviews. They've been trying to cut him more. But can you go back and re-edit this person out completely of a, of a story? Like, how far back can you take this cancellation of a character and not interrupt production or interrupt the story, yeah. right? Yeah. So. I think that it's a, I, I, you know, my, these are just my personal opinions. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think it was a mistake to try to correct it based on these people's tweets and previous posts. Now, it's obvious that these people either have a lot of growing to do or grew a lot since then because the things they said were racist. And even if they didn't realize they were racist, they, they were, you know, implicitly racist when they weren't explicitly, meaning like, you know, it was a real great example of how racism lives in our white culture, you mm -hmm. know? And so, uh, but, but at the same time, I find it would be a really great reality moment to address some of that on screen. You know, I understand why Bravo and the uh, Vanderpump Rules people don't want that and they don't want to be associated with that. And I know there's this story about how Lisa is this amazing friend of the gays and et cetera, et cetera, whatever, um, you know, the, the, they're putting forward with these various characters, you know, this is a mature business and all this stuff is super curated now. Yes, there are real personalities working within the curation known as Vanderpump Rules. I think, however, that they should have just moved forward and let this be part of the conversation rather mm -hmm. than trying to sterilize it and pretend like these people didn't exist. I think it adds complexity that the audience is ready to handle, you know, and I think it would also give the people who did say the racist things the opportunity to like understand how they can see things different or at least give us the opportunity to say, hey, these people are different. Wow, we can all make mistakes. We can all be caught on a bad day. We can all have been somebody who wasn't a good person and still be a better person. I mean, just like, you know, James, we love to hate James. James isn't all bad, you know, He's mm -hmm. but, we, but we give him the space to be bad because we've decided bad's okay in these parameters. So even if you seem irredeemable, you know. I completely agree. And it was interesting how right off the bat, as soon as that was found, whoever, you know, went deep diving into his past of tweets or whatever i mean it was it was like fire you know it just spread yeah. and then gasoline and then fire and then more and then it was just an explosion and then it's like oh yeah. you're done you're you're we, yeah. we hate you like yeah. <laughs> any chance you had gone sorry buddy so it's it's just interesting to see how someone like himself was probably really excited to get on the scene. Like I'm going to be on this television show. Like oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so excited. I'm going to uh, do yeah. great. And then just like that, in an instant, <laughs> the tables turn. So I mean, and it's a, and it's a perfect example again of the social media giveth and social media taketh away. I mean, it's a perfect example of how fast things can turn and how they can turn on one little piece of information. I mean, 
just any anything that's you know so-called viral that hits that viral space, whether it's funny or 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 whatever it is, or it's racist, um, insensitive, sexist, any of these other harmful veins in our culture. It's like as soon as it taps that viral space, it just goes, you know. And there's unintended yeah. consequences, and there's there's things that can't be taken back, and people will have that view of it. It's kind of like a very it's like a, a lightning bolt version of what we do in reality TV anyway. Like you might remember from one of my articles I wrote about uh, observing reality TV as it evolved. It's like I began to realize that if the camera's following people and we've chosen a villain, like we've got somebody who has dark tendencies and we're going to make that our cast's villain, all we have to do is take just the piece of pie where he's behaving poorly. Mm-hmm. And we just hammer that, hammer that, hammer that. And that's all we present to the audience is someone behaving in ways that make them look crappy. That's what the audience sees, so therefore believes. And something else amazing happens is the character sees themselves and is celebrated and sort of a spotlight is put on them as the bad person. And they actually start to become that person. Like that's the most interesting thing is that the reality characters start to become the character we have painted them as. There was always a little bit in them, right? Because that's how they become who they are. Like if you right. were portrayed as a villain, there's a little bit of villain in you. Yet as that's, that is heightened season after season, they become more villainous. That's interesting that you said that. My my mother would always say, uh, you only become exaggerated versions of yourselves as you get older. And I, I think that that's very clear that that happens at like a lightning speed on these reality shows, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, and and it was and you can and it goes in any direction. It's like you know, remember everyone thought Britney was just the sweetest, nicest thing. Oh, Britney, we love yeah. Britney. Short, short, short. <laughs> everybody just thought, and everybody would even say like, you know, well, Britney, she wouldn't hurt anybody, and Britney, this, right. Britney, that. I can't speak for Britney as a person. I really don't know. You know, I as a psychotherapist i would never assume that somebody is highly represented on tv or that they're all bad or they're horrible however she had been presented at this as this sort of southern angel who could never do no harm and she just got so worked up when she had to make a decision can't we all just drink and have fun but um that's so pretty now this season people aren't really appreciating her in the same way because they're seeing in her you know this bridezilla part and that is you know we could go into the whole uh, aspect of uh, uh, identity politics around uh, sexism related to weddings and the wedding industry and mm-hmm. and the patriarchy and all that stuff. But the point is that she's hitting a stereotype in our culture of bridezilla, and no one's liking it. And it's partly because people love to hate Jax, and Jax lives along for the ride because they want to burn the thing down with Jax in it. But you know, she's also showing a side of her that you know was not very admirable. And so all of a sudden, this character went from you know this lovable Britney to like this bridezilla. And it's kind of, you know, it's, it's pretty surprising. Yeah. Because she did. That's exactly what happened. She went from sweet, like, to, like so sweet. And, and now people are coming out saying, well, you know, I knew she had it in her to be, you know, not great. <laughs> like She is marrying Jack. So there had to have been something in her that was really like, once you just pull or move this or shift that, then you can see what kind of person she is. But the bride, we do love our bridezillas. Like that is des- definitely something that, as a culture, we are. I mean, they made a whole show about it, right? Right, just absolutely. Dedicated. Yeah, and I think also it's kind of, you know, 
like I said, people love to hate Jax, and Jax has a lot of things that he's done that, you know, do not the show his character in really poor light. And again, I don't really know him personally, but there's a lot of things that make him seem like someone who doesn't have a ton of integrity, and is he using drugs, and what's, you know, what's going on, and why is he such a horrendous troll, and why is he duplicitous, mm-hmm. and all these things that we see on the TV show. I also feel like, you know, we, we give him that pass. Jax is Jax. Let him be Jax. And he, but it's funny. I do feel like, you know, it's much... I have a little twinge of like a little little red flag that goes up thinking like, well, is this some sort of radiation from our sexist paradigm that like Brittany is this horrible person because she's marrying Jax and is she a horrible person for being bridezilla and stuff when really, you know, it's like, it's like Jax everybody hates <laughs> and like she's catching the heat in a weird way. Like he's already, you know, I don't know. He's like already a pickled you know, a, a pickle or something. You know what I mean? Like he's like he, he self-admitted. Can't... He says, totally. it. "I'm horrible. I'm a horrible person. I don't know why people are around me, but you know what? Else? Like, who else wouldn't just go along with that? Like, <laughs> totally, totally. They give him kind of a pass. He's just a yeah. horrible person that they love to hate. But they're like, oh heavens! And Brittany, I, I, I do think like <laughs> she's getting a lot of heat. I don't know if she deserves it all. Not, not that it, she's not. You know, of course she deserves some of it. But, but I mean, what I mean to say is like I feel like. I don't want her to be catching too much heat. I feel like maybe it's because she's a woman and it's around the bride thing. I don't know. I, yeah. don't know. You know what I'm I totally know what you're saying. I just think, I think you're, you nailed it right there. Guilty by association, right? Yeah, like, yeah, totally. totally. Always the woman, right? Always the woman. A <laughs> Always. Guy, a guy does whatever and he's like, you know, a stud and, you know, the old fashion paradigm and a girl does it and she's a slut or whatever, you know, so it's kind of a similar version, but, but bride. I would love that character on Vanderpump Rules, just the woman who's just like, nah, fuck it, whatever, like, who cares? Right. Like, totally. I'm going to do this. I'm going to lie to this person. But you're right. I don't think the audience would take too well to that at all. No, they kind of have Lala, but she herself, you know, she meaning like she used to be kind of like, I'm the truth teller. But her truth telling was always a little transparent because it was always completely self-serving. And, and as she gets more and more um, done up Hollywood style, she just seems more and more like just one more shill for the dead society, if you know what I mean, for the, yeah. for the, for the dying oh culture. <laughs> yeah, it is just too much. All right, put that aside, because I do want to get to the history yeah. of yeah. Ian. What came first, the therapist background or the editing? I need to know which one you got involved with first. I got involved first with editing, and it was really by accident. Um, I was a literature major with a focus on creative writing, and I was in San Francisco at the right place and right time. I wasn't doing nothing with my literature degree, and I needed a job, and I got a job on a soundstage. And so um, on that soundstage, I learned how to edit in the old-fashioned way with film and pneumatic tape, which are those giant, like, three-quarter-inch tapes that you may or may not be familiar with. Familiar wow. With. Yeah. And, um, and it was a... You know, it was pretty pretty much the only film studio outside of you know Lucas because we were in the city. Lucas is across the bay, and up north. And um, that was a commercial place. Then I got my start in commercials, and I really sort of fell into it by accident. I just needed a paycheck, and I turned out to be good at it. I was because I think maybe because of my literature degree, I sort of fell in with the editors because they were sort of an intelligent, bookish kind of crew. Not quite nerds, but not quite you know Mensa. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> And I just fell in with them, and they and they and they uh, took me under the wing, and I and I just ha- I mean it's really 
a story of just luck. I happened to be there at a time when the technology was changing. Technology was going from you know celluloid film and tape to this digital medium that we're all familiar with now. And then editing tool called the Avid, which is kind of an in industry standard. We got one of the early shipments of it at this studio. And I was literally there on the weekend doing who knows what, I can't remember, when an editor was unpacking the box and said, come check this thing out. And oh he taught God. me the basic elements of how to use the Avid. And um, next, That's crazy. Like, like two weeks later, a director, like old school director, like, you know, the kind of guy with like, you know, had a special bowl on the craft service with his menthol cigarettes in them unpackaged. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. he came in totally like old school. And he was like, I need an editor. I don't want to see this new thing called the Avid, blah, blah, blah. And I was the only guy around. And I jumped in and I, I literally knew three things. And for those that do know something about editing, I knew about an assembly edit, an insert edit, and I knew the undo button, right? So I could undo my my mistakes. Mm -hmm. And that's like all I knew. And you're talking to a kind of a Luddite, like I'm clever, but I didn't know anything about computers or anything. And um, I just jumped in and did it. And two weeks after that, I was editing my first commercial. And it was a big 60 second Nike commercial for this ridiculous shoe called the Indestruct. And um, it was a big deal. And I, I was just was jumped in, you know, I just got jumped wow. in and then that just rolled along. Um, and I was a commercial editor for many years and I moved to LA for a number of reasons, which aren't important for this interview, but I moved down from San Francisco to LA and, uh, I was trying to, I was trying different creative things. You know, I, I do have, I've done some directing, I've done uh, some writing, I've done a lot of different stuff. And so, um, I was trying some different stuff and I jumped off the, um, commercial bandwagon because that was really good money at the time. And I had been really successful at it and I jumped off that. And when I was going to grab an edit job again, after my little mini hiatus, six months, whatever it was, um, I called a friend, a New York dude, because I'm from the East Coast, a New York guy. And I said, um, yeah, I'm just looking for some commercials. And he was like, oh, forget that. He's like, um, I got this uh, gig that I can hook you up with. And why don't you check it out? And I said, okay. And it was this thing called Mr. Personality, which was um, a sort of, which, which is a reality dating show, an elimination show. Um, where people had like phantom of the, it was a little bit like love is blind. And the way that okay. love is blind is that you couldn't see the people's faces. And so the person met these people by their, by their personality only. That's what it was called. Mr. Personality. Oh, that sounds right up my alley. Go ahead. Continue. Yeah. The host was Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Weird. huh? <laughs> and it was for Nash. And those of you that are on, you know, that are into the insider baseball, you know, Nash was one of the huge early reality production companies. Um, and it was in the basement of the old Tribune building over there on, uh, over near Gower and, uh, and Sunset, is that Sunset or Hollywood? But anyway, uh, what later became the CW. But any hoodles, huh. um, I just jumped in there. And because editors, uh, the good ones, they just copy what they're supposed to do, right? They, they, they make the, the media the media look like it needs to look. They make it look like whatever TV show or whatever TV product they're making. So I didn't know mm -hmm. crap about reality. I was like, what is this thing with these weird interviews and these weird setups? Like, I really didn't know anything about it. And I was just in this basement editing scenes for this new kind of TV called reality TV. And wow. um, I just fell in line and tried to figure out what people were doing and what, what their sort of game they were playing visually and how they were doing the music. And it was you know, it's the reality we know today, you know, that, you know, it's what we know. And mm -hmm. um, 
So that was really that was really cool. So that's kind of how I ended up there. So, and then that, that then like you know, twenty years, eighteen years later, not whatever it is, or maybe it was fifteen years after that, I just started to burn out. Um, and I started to look around me, and I started to say, who has what I want? And I couldn't find anybody. You know, look, it'd be great to be uh, Bill over at um, Vanderpump. You know, mm-hmm. it'd be great to be Jeremiah. There's a lot of showrunners and producers, I think, whose jobs I think are really cool and they do a great job and they have a lot of integrity. Um, but I didn't want to put in the hours. We, you know, we don't earn, our money is not so different for, for A-list editors. You know, our my, my money and and a, and a showrunner's money isn't a ton different. Some of the showrunners, Bill probably makes a ton more than me do and uh, a bunch of other people. But the money's not so different. But the hours right. are much longer. The responsibility is bigger. And the job's not as fun as editing. So I was like, I don't think I want to do any of this and so that's when I started casting around and um and I'll try to make this really quick I didn't know that I had thought of being a therapist many years earlier until someone reminded me mm. and that yeah and that because I wanted to be a doctor when I was a kid and I thought about going back to med school and I was like no I'm not going to work in a hospital do not want to work in a hospital I knew that you know and like I said I I earlier to you before we started recording, you know, I knew that if I was going to sh- uh, switch my um, career, I was going to do it on my terms. I wasn't going to do a lateral move. I wasn't going to do something into something that was higher stress and less money. I was going to do something that I cared about, that I had some uh, sway over my hours. And I also wanted to be helping people and doing things that I uh, found uh, meaning in for myself. And so that's kind of how I landed on uh, psychotherapy. I knew right away I wanted to work clinically. That means with people. I didn't want to work in research, as many of the jobs are. I didn't want to work in, um, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people in, in the therapy world, they work in uh, consulting because a lot of uh, ad people rely on therapists and other kind of psychologists. And testing, I didn't want to do testing. And so I knew I wanted to work with people, and then I started that journey, and it was hard. I, I was, like, editing the whole time I was in grad school. Wow. It was where a, where were you editing at this point? What show were you working on? I worked on Shaw's, a, a bunch of oh, early yeah. seasons of Shaw's, a bunch of Shaw's. And then, I, you know, I've always been mercenary. Like, you know, one of your other guests, Bree, um, she and I, you know, were basically were married, and um, she is uh, – she loves Vanderpump and she loves reality and she really believes mm-hmm. in reality. I'm much more mercenary. Like I was like, whatever it takes to pay the bills, you right. pay my rate, I do it. That's not, that doesn't mean I didn't bring my whole skill set. And, you know, I, I couldn't stand things going out the door that weren't up to snuff, you know? So it wasn't mm-hmm. like, I really cared about the quality of work, but I cared less about the stuff. So you name it, I've done, I've done so many weird things. I've done, a, a Shannon Doherty, you know, vanity piece. I've done uh, Paradise Hotel, which was a fan favorite that everybody talk of, talks about as like epic reality oh, yeah. TV. I yeah, remember done, Paradise Hotel. <laughs> yeah, amazing. I've done uh, chef shows. I've done Who Survived a Japanese Game Show, like weird stuff like that. I've done Shack Versus. I've done little wow. weird uh, mom and pop stuff. I did Who Mar- Married by America, which was a... Um, there's another sort of you know marriage show that was made it really shifted the whole landscape because we edited this scandalous scene where they licked whipped cream off a breast and the FCC lost <gasps> their mind and the, the hammer came down on all the obscenity and they banned drinking on sets you know like I sort of feel like I've seen it all like I've seen so much weird insider stuff um time out for one second because you said that it's so funny because I think back in 2017 I was in Ireland and we had the tv on it must have been like 10 p.m 
and there was this show where um, basically they they start out with one guy or girl and there's seven of them behind a screen and they like lift the screen up. They ask, you know, he asks questions to everybody and the screen is covering their whole bodies, but they're naked behind the screen. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so basically and they like, he picks somebody he's like, okay, I think I want to see this person's feet. And so like the screen like lifts. And so like, halfway through the show we you know all he can do is talk to these people behind the screen and then you're just getting up and they're like he's like oh yeah well there's a tattoo right above her nipple so that means like maybe she's you know a little bit more adventurous than i'd like so no i'm not gonna go for her but i was just (laughs) mouth open like how can they show this like how is that possible i don't understand what's happening here and i had to watch the whole thing and my brother-in-law was looking at me like i was insane he's like what do you mean you guys don't have this in the states what are you talking about i I know i always thought they should have that show here i always i was just like i feel like we'd go gangbusters you know yeah a lot of our shows come from europe you know so many of their you know whether it's you know um American Idol or all the other shows, so many shows that have come from Europe and just been retooled mm-hmm. for the States, um, which it always surprises me because I always think of the States as like, you know, this innovator of TV and I'm sure, and I'm sure they really are, but I am always surprised when I hear about how many shows that come from Europe, you know, and other places. Yeah. Especially those reality TV shows. Mm-hmm. And yep. They're just tailored to the puritanical values of the United States. Yep. <laughs> oh, um, cover the clothes on. So no big deal. Um, but but I had um I, so I was editing all kinds of stuff. I was editing oh, okay. like, uh, like you know my resume spans so much. I've done naked and afraid. I've done, I mean I've just done so many. Wow. I've done like everything. I've done a ton of Bravo uh, stuff. I've done all kinds of weirdo um, sort of World of Wonder type of early proto shows like you know Showbiz Moms and Dads and um, I've just I've been I've been around the damn block. Sometimes I feel like a real. Uh, puffed up like egotistical maniac when I say that but then when I look at my resume and think of all the things I left off and how like it's all like great stuff I'm just like wow I I did a lot of stuff but that's because I was working for so long you know it's like I just yeah um I was working for so long and and it was difficult doing grad school because like during grad school in that time like my parents died in an accident um, oh my I got gosh. A, I got a divorce my son was very young and you know needed a lot of extra you know care and I was working full time. It was just like a, it was like a, a, I don't know if I can say it on your pod. It was a shit show. But, you can um, say that. Yes. But it was like, you know, um, it, it was all good stuff. I, I had a sort of, I don't know if you want to call him a mentor, but he was the person who helped me pick my grad school. And he was like, oh, I was like, oh, maybe I'm too old to do this. You know, I've had all these other problems. And he was like, oh, nobody wants a young therapist. Anyhow, uh, he was like, he's a New York guy. And he was mm. like, oh, the, more, the more you're fucked up, uh, you know, the more you can help other people. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, shout out to you, George Vroom, if this ever, if you ever hear this. But um, it was very difficult. I went to what's called low residency programs. So that means that I was, uh, once a month, I was gone for three and a half days, at, basically like a retreat at a school in Santa Barbara. Um, and uh, it's the same amount of class time because they're like 10 and a half hour days. So over the course of three and a half days, it's like the same amount of class time as you do in a week. 
I mean, as you do in the whole month, but you do it in, in three days. So it was really intense. And, and I have to say that never once did my um, uh, showrunners, my bosses, notice that I, you know, out of three years of grad school, noticed that I had this strange pattern of once a month I'd miss a day. Um, hmm. You know, and I, it was very stressful because, you know, you don't want to let your crew down. You don't want to let your people down. And I didn't tell anybody. Nobody knew. Because what, one thing I learned in the film industry was that nobody cares if you went to USC or if you have a Peabody or if you um, want to direct or, or you're pitching a show. Nobody cares because they want you to do what you're doing. The whole thing is built on stability. Right. Mm. They see your resume. They know you can deliver it. We used to have a joke in the commercial world where like they, you'd be up for a pumpernickel job. You know, let's say it's a commercial for pumpernickel bread. And they look at your resume and go, well, I see white bread and I see wheat bread and I, I even see rye, but there's no pumpernickel. I don't know if uh, you're the right guy for this job. <laughs> and uh, likewise, oh. nobody wants to know that you're that their editor, that they're paying a ton of dough every week to make their TV show look like a TV show is actually planning his exit, right? Nobody right. wants to know that. So I had to sort of, I was stealth. That must have been like hard to juggle because I'm sure in your mind you were going through so much on top of the all the information coming at you, learning how to be a psychotherapist. So how do you juggle all that all at once without feeling overwhelmed? Just... Well, I will say that like it's editing. I mean, it's all about editing, meaning that, you know, I have to say that um, I feel that I relied on the skills that I honed at for all those, you know, for like, like almost two decades of editing. Like, you know, yeah. I, I, I relied on time management, on execution of my list, of making sure that my finished product looked great, of being able to deal with notes, being able to readjust, being able to stay late if I had to, come in early if I had to, you know, like it was really editing that sort of razor honed my mind. I, I used to I joke because it was a really rigorous program. And I, um, I used to joke and call it stepping over the bodies. People would drop out. We'd start with a cohort of, you know, like 35. And by the end, we had like 25. And um, I would just be in my head. I was just like stepping over bodies, moving forward. You, you got there and you got there quick and you did it. So you should yeah. be. And then how long while you were editing and doing this at the same time, was it difficult for you to not want to just psychoanalyze everybody that you were editing <laughs> at that time? <laughs> in grad school you're thinking about people but uh, you know it's a uh, it's funny it's like everybody thinks that when you're a shrink that you're sort of uh, breaking them down but you, you know maybe we are in some part of our brains but i but honestly we're not we're not because it's like no fun it's no fun to do that like the world isn't you know what i mean it's like i i'm not looking at my family and and diagnosing them and i'm not like um uh doing any of that kind of thing i i would say where i really was doing it was that psychotherapy um, the study of it, especially the program I did, um, it really pushes you into a deeper space of observation about the system which surrounds us. When I say system, I mean, in this case, uh, Los Angeles, and then outside mm -hmm. of Los Angeles is Southern California, and outside of Southern California is the Southwest, and outside of the Southwest is the rest of America. You know, it, it forces you to look at the nuance of the things around you. It, it, it brings a closer focus onto your consciousness and why you think the way that you do and why you act the way you do and not even necessarily to make you better or smarter or or, or solve anything or have a better hustle um, but just as a natural curiosity that comes with the study that makes you more observant about the systems in which we all operate in and so in that way it made me 
fall in love with reality TV in a way I'd never had before because I had always seen reality TV as the engine that was propelling my income so I could move forward with my goals in life. And I didn't realize that I was sitting in the middle of like a fantastic experiment that we're sort of undergoing this giant shift, you know, thanks to this weird convergence of our culture and technology, where we really have the opportunity to have a whole nother experience for everybody. Like the democratization of this media is pretty intense. You know, some people, like I have a young child, you know, young meaning a teenager, a youngster in the house. And, um, you know, so he turns around to all kinds of crazy things, mm-hmm. right? So when I was coming up, cutting my teeth, when I used to want to be a film director, you know, like for, for, for movies, old-fashioned type of movies, um, I thought it was a big deal. I thought Hollywood was a big deal. Well, you know, through my son and through watching media develop, I realized it's really not a big deal. You know, not only is the gaming industry bigger than it, so is the real estate industry. So, you know, all these other industries are much bigger than the film industry, which I thought was this great, huge model, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, so it's like it's like amazing to see that people will have many more on their YouTube channel. They'll have many more views of something than any film I could have ever created. You know what I mean? And it's kind yeah. of boggling. You know, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> There's a lot going on out there in the world. We all, we can all get a piece of it, and we can all get tangled up in it. We can all get like bent. We can we also can bend our metal in the um, social media world or in the reality world. You know. I saw one guy do do it one time where he's like, well, this is an Instagram video basically on how to get a bunch of followers. And this is what you do. And basically he just went through the steps and he's like, now you do this and now you do that. And now, now you're a social influencer, like just like that. And then you like blast that off into the world. And all of a sudden you're left with, you know, millions of stars that are, or like uh, social influencers, like, oh, oh, someone who I wouldn't know might be super popular with a certain generation or, or group, whatever, you know, that's watching this person. So yeah, it's terrifying, really, but it it is really terrifying. And and, and it's funny, it's like the, you know, the cast of Vanderpump rule for rules, for example, is like, they're, they're certainly not dinosaurs. Um, uh, Meaning that like they're still hugely popular. People love them. If the if the if the network wants to, I'm sure there's many more seasons in in mm-hmm. that cast. But they're like the staid classic form. Like things are moving so fast. They're like the the grandpas of the whole medium. Their position <laughs> is much more organized. But I will say, uh, apropos to what you were just saying about uh, social media, is that uh, what I think has been a real shift in the last five years is so many of these reality. Uh, characters and their plot lines are affected by social media because they're reacting to the Twitter, right? So like whole shows are bent sideways or bent to the left or bent to the right based on the Twitter feuds or what people are saying. I mean, certainly the, um, the uh, reunion shows are a complete product of the Twitter wars that erupted after the thing, you know, and the Twitter wars that erupt from the um, various episodes completely shift the landscape for the season that's just about to be shot you know by the time that you guys are watching this um you know season they're already in pre-pro and sometimes in production of the next season so it's like the twitter battles and the various social media media scandals that are going on in between episodes like in reaction to the episodes right whether they're a feud between mercedes and reza on on uh, shahs or if mm-hmm. they're something between jackson sandoval and vanderpump rules like that's totally affecting 
the outcome of next season. And that's a real different change because these things used to be a little more standalone. Like there'd be like a little bit of like hubbub in the in the trade papers and in the um, and online, but it wasn't like this sort of real time like car crashes that are happening between these cast members or fans or like super fans who are, who are mixing shit up by getting dirt, you know? It's like Jax can't take his pants off anywhere unless it's Britney he's taking them off with because there's an right. army of cameras ready to, ready to blow the whole thing up, you know? Like, he, I can't imagine being that guy. Like, imagine the scrutiny that's on him. And sure, he brought it on himself, but like, he can't take his pants off anywhere. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Which is a good thing, I guess. I'm sure Britney's like, yeah, you're good. He's like, yeah, I'm a terrible person, but it's fine. I'm good. Like, it's okay. <laughs> we definitely started off with one type of a show. And now that social media is so prevalent, it's just, and I said this before, I think with Brie, that it's like a choose your own adventure. Because yeah. if you can, you see all the Facebook sites and the Twitter and the groups, and now the meme world are getting involved and everybody had an opinion about Jackson Brittany's wedding. Right. And everybody was yeah, up yeah. in arms and, Oh, we got a protest and we're not going to watch this and all this stuff. And I'm like, Whoa, 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 guys, calm down. Calm down. Yeah. <laughs> this, yeah. We still want the show to air. So let's just not stop watching it. You know, I, I had a real kind of hard time with that because I still would like to see, I want to see this show. It's like Truman show for me. Right. Like I want to see how yeah. far we can take this. Yeah. Let's just keep going. But I never thought about how social media can change so much. And as a culture, like the people growing with them as well, right? Because you're not only getting the people that have been watching it since from the beginning, but you're getting a younger generation watching it now. Younger yeah. characters on it as well. So yeah, everything's absolutely. kind of, it's just changing uh, everything about it. And I had said about the Kardashians, because that's another long running show. On the whole, I can't really necessarily watch Kim Kardashian on Instagram. It's not something that appeals to me. But for her show, she's more relatable, right? Yeah. So she relates to people more, and that's why people like her. And then they go to the Instagram. But do does an audience prefer one or the other, and which one? And is it generational? Does the Do the younger ones prefer that influencer-style Kim Kardashian, and the older ones can relate more? So they like the fam, like seeing her with her family and her interactions with her sisters and stuff like that. So that's another show that I think the longevity of it, I would like to see on the same for Vanderpump Rules, because I, I, I still want to see them with families. I do want to see them with families. I, I want to see how that dynamic works. I have a family of my own, so I want to see how those really relationships play out if they want to play them out for us that's up to yeah. them yeah I so think i think i think you're right and I, and I think also like you know it's like the you know we we're largely been talking about docu soaps you know which is you know the, the stuff that i find the most interesting as a psychologist i have to say when i think of reality tv i you know i'm not really thinking about um you know game shows and and competition shows i'm thinking about dating shows mm -hmm. uh, and i'm thinking about um you know, docudramas because they're they're including all these racial relational aspects that you just hit on you know they're talking about the family they're talking about the children they're talking about how people juggle these things and you know these are relatable things how we date what we find the social norms to be these are like you know even though they're very outsized um they're they're pretty accurate representations of how we are out there in the world and what we think is right or wrong and i think like you know as a as a shrink looking at that stuff is fascinating to me and, I, and I'm able to reflect upon the way things have changed and the way they've stayed the same and especially in the in the I just lost my train of my, my train of thought which you can probably tell because you had like so much of you had said made my brain kind of 
top <laughs> because it's no. the, the the relational aspect of you know it, it's kind of like women driving i don't know what the viewership is i'd love to see a breakdown of like bravo's numbers but the viewership is is like you know it's very it's largely considered like women's programming that's what brie mm-hmm. calls it but it's true you know it's like a lot of men sort of laugh about these shows and everybody calls them garbage shows and everybody says you know it's trash tv and they call it their guilty pleasure or whatever they say to deride these shows, but um, they're actually, you know, about emotional interactions between groups of people. And they're not about like brave cops doing dumb crap or like, you know, military guys shooting guns and acting heroic. It's a whole different set of narratives and stories. And I think they're, you know, really important stories and really important things that people are relating to. And I think calling sort of treating them as trash or treating them as sort of um, second-class citizen TV um, is kind of is kind of pointless, you know. Um, I think it's something that deserves a spotlight, deserves a, a high viewership. I agree, and especially right now, I bet you viewership is so high right now for all of those shows because people are looking to distract themselves. And I can pull up every, you know. Um, people on my Facebook or my Instagram and I can show you that they're all like oh I guess I'll just watch some Bravo or I'm gonna watch my show you know something to just keep their minds busy and focused and distracted on something that they don't want to focus on in real life and that's to me like that's part of that's a part of the reality experience too is just taking you out of the reality and into somebody else's reality right just yeah, somebody make the same kind of mistakes that you made. I mean, like, you know, yeah, sure, we might not, you know, we might not, you know, be in business with Lisa Vanderpump, but like, you know, um, all these people are sort of, we're, it's, it's fun to point the finger at them and go ha 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 and laugh because you know Vanderpump Rules has got a lot of humor in it. You know, it's and, and it's not just the like I think you pointed out just now. It's not just that it's an entertainment. We don't have to think about our own life. It's just another mirror to look at the same stuff that we're going through and not take it so seriously and not be so mm-hmm. intense. Mm-hmm. We can let these other yo-yos get super intense. I mean, what's better than watching someone's you know blood vessel bulge on their forehead as they're arguing about some sort of completely absurdist you know a point so they're good. trying to make you know about uh, trying to get Sandoval to admit that he he you know that he doesn't know how to apologize and Sandoval trying to explain that he's totally apologizing by not apologizing you know it's just it's just it's great you know that stuff is like relaxing because it's not us (laughs) exactly it's actually relaxing because it's not us I think that's the point I'm trying to make that is so perfect you said that perfectly um do you see similar traits in the reality tv like personalities that you treat in your I I know I don't want to get too I don't want to get too much into it because I know you call it confidentiality and all that but but yeah. is there like a certain trait that like you see in every single one of them and besides like narcissism or something like that, that they want the spotlight on them? Is there something else that is in general a theme in all of these um, stars? Yeah, I think there's two things. One is like a, a certain ambition that just is like, you know, you, you, might, you might even just say like they want a job, like they're really hungry for a job, right? So there's a certain kind of ambition. You know, they're willing to do anything, right? So they're like, yeah, great. You, you want to make me a star? I'll, I'll do whatever you want. You want me to dance with a monkey? What do you want me to do? And there's that element. And I think there's also, you know, there's a real stuff around self-esteem. There's real deep-rooted self-esteem problems that need the adoration of, uh, of many people. Um, 
you know, I touched on this earlier. It's like um, we're used to watching in you know traditional sort of dramas and TV shows people pretending to be other people, and now we're watching people who really are the people they are, sort of doing sort of pretend setups. You know, they're doing mm-hmm. setups. You know what I mean? They're working in a crazy restaurant or they're working for a, a moving company or whatever they're doing. So now we're watching real people, and it's really. Uh, it's difficult for these people in ways they don't realize, you know, so like um, I would never advise somebody not to go for their ambition. If they want to be on a reality show, go for it, be on a reality show. But what they don't realize going in is they can't imagine how their personality is going to be shifted and twisted and how they're going to be portrayed. Everyone thinks they are, have just enough ego to think that they have control over the narrative, but no one has control over the narrative. The producers have control over the narrative. You know, Bill and Sherry at Bravo and various others, they have control over the narrative and Lisa to a degree because she's you know on as a you know producing element uh, but it's like um, the, the characters don't they don't have control mm-hmm. so their struggle becomes about you know the way they get shifted and molded into different places that they may not want to be you know it's like I feel like reality TV stars and influencers and you know, TikTok people I think they need a lot of support because they're sort of just getting going through the meat grinder I don't think um they're taking a lot of consideration into what's going to happen to them because they're just thinking, oh, great, I'll get followers or I'll, I'll get notoriety or I'll get, be able to do this job instead of some boring ass, you know, uh, corporate job. But they're, what they're not taking into account, the cost they're going to pay. And it's unlike people who are pretending to be people because I'm not mad at Brad Pitt because, you know, he acted a certain way in a movie and had a terrible accident, accent and 12 years a slave. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. mad at, you know, George Clooney. I'm not mad at Angela Jolie because because um, I don't really know who they are. I have no idea. They're acting. You know, they, and so, yeah, sure, they have a problem with their privacy and people make assumptions about who they are. People get up in their business or the tablets show them doing something embarrassed or embarrassing or Hugh Grant gets picked up like with a, you know, with an LGBT sex worker, you know, whatever it is. Right. Um, but, but that's all we get. Whereas these other people are really literally putting their personalities. Like, as I like to say, I say the reality star's job is to take their clothes off and fuck. And that's emotionally, right? They have to mm-hmm. take their, they have to put their emotions out there and have their emotions exposed and have all their mistakes exposed. Like that's the job. If you don't do that, you're not going to last. No way, Jose. You're not going to stay on the show. Which is where the hunger and ambition comes in because they they do it all. They do it for that, right? They do it. They do it. Yeah, and and they and they maintain this illusion of control, right? That they can that they can get this. They can you know look at Jack. Look how feverishly he tries to control his own narrative. This whole episode, this whole season is about, or this so far is about Jack and Brittany trying to maintain control of the narrative around their wedding. But it's like Mm -hmm. the camera crew is there guaranteeing. That's not going to be a case. Man, could you think of a more boring season than Jackson and Brittany have a great, perfect wedding and everybody loves them, right? So it has to be this other stuff. Like it's yeah. built to spill, built to spill. We don't, the, the basis of um, dramatic uh, narrative is conflict and how you overcome these conflicts. So it's like, it's like by its definition, and if you're a guy who's got to go in there and expose their emotions and show themselves off, by definition, they're going to watch you in the meat grinder. They're like, hey, jump in here. You're like, okay, brain grind, grind, yeah. grind, grind, And so, you know, it's like, it's like, I always, I, you know, it's no surprise. Like I have helped people get through the um, interview process on like Survivor and other things. Um, but it's like, it's, I probably won't be the guy that they hire, that the network hires. And I'll tell you why. Because I know too much about how the sausage is made. 
And I mm-hmm. couldn't, you know, I would, I would, I don't advise people. I don't say, you should do this. You should do that. I explore the thoughts that they're having about their life and help them problem solve for themselves so they can grow as people. You know, I don't give people answers. And plus, I haven't got answers for other people. But in the world of reality TV, I can definitely, you know, let them know what forces they're working against and how to protect themselves. Not on screen. Like I said, the producers, well, I won't do the narrative. The producers do the narrative. You know, like I can't protect on screen or with their social media, but I can be there for them when the inevitable happens, which is that the horde, you know, the online community is going to come down on them. Yeah. And. You know, when you said the producers, because there's been a, like you said, a horde of people that have been coming in and kind of, in particular, the episode with Raquel and how Raquel was asked to read her uh, oh my God, text yeah. messages. Oh, yeah. That was rough. The, and that was an interesting concept because people were giving out to, you know, the produce, the producer that was asking her. And they were like, how could that person do that to her? Why would he do that? I'm not quite sure if it was information that he was getting from somebody else to pull it out. Like, oh, no, this is the storyline we're going with. These are the questions you're going to ask. Go ahead and ask her. Right. So who's responsible for those questions? And are they placing the blame? But on the wrong person or does that person deserve to get all that blame? Like, I don't think the producers have been looked at under as deep of a microscope as they are currently on the season or the season before because of the new characters versus the old characters and is there favoritism is there not favoritism or whatever but i mean it's kind of harsh to hear people talk uh kind of so negatively about these producers because i don't believe that they are I don't think they deserve that punishment for for doing something that because I think it takes a lot to be a producer and to ask these questions and to get information out. Because as soon as she said it, people are like, oh, my God, I love the way she talks. Like, I would love to hear her talk more about whatever, because Raquel's just such an enamoring person. People just are just fascinated by her. So get her well, to talk all, more. First of all, Raquel is amazing. And, yeah. <laughs> um, we all. If, if they're going, if we're going to have AI and robots in our house, I want a Raquel AI and robot. Oh, but, everybody um, wants Raquel. The series should be Raquel. But I will say to you, to your point, I will say this: my experience over many, many years with so many different kinds of shows and so many different kind of producers, I can tell you that, from my experience at least, even when they hate, they, there's always they've always protected the cast. And what I mean by that is, they have given the networks generally resist socking it to the people like so, like you'd think they don't but they really do they really do consider the people and what's the appropriate amount of information to say and these producers are not maniacal maniacs i i think that they really do the times that they use things like those fourth wall breaking elements they're done intentionally they're usually done with some sort of collaboration with the people and by and large a lot of the producers, in my experience over the years, have protected the um, the subjects from their worst instincts. Doesn't mean they don't shoot the stuff. They might be rolling on some of the shit, but I have I can think of half a dozen or more times when something really outrageous has had on, has been on camera, and we've been frothing at the mouth to put it out there um, because we're just like we we have to use this. And and the producers and network have said no 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 this is mm-hmm. not appropriate. We can't do this. This is sort of like too risky it's it's not 
fair to them. You know what I mean? And yeah. not not that producers don't have vendettas with certain cast members, not that they don't try to write them out or make them look hideous or, or do shit, but it's like they really do attempt to there, – there's many more instances in my mind where they tried to protect them when I thought they should have gone further, which okay. maybe makes me a maniac. But it's like in that instance too, with the Raquel text, I think that was really important. That was a real missing link that really was real in the reality TV world. That's a missing link to understand that James can be a real shit and to really feel it viscerally to hear him say those things. It's really quite alarming and shocking, but it's so typical for people with that kind of rage that they would go there, and especially when we're talking about a man abusing a woman. So it's like, mm -hmm. I think that, you know, I can't imagine that women didn't completely relate to it. And I think it was just like, you know, a lot of these people get off, like, you know, uh, there was a lot. There's a lot of shit that 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 James has done that we've wanted to like expose and 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 go bigger on, um, that we've that they've been protected from. The stuff that I've thought that like we should say about Lisa, you know, in my in my little opinion box that nobody goes for. You know, mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of protection. Some of it's self-serving, but some of it just because these producers are good people and they're like, eh, that's yeah. not the kind of TV you want to be making. You know. Yeah, and I I appreciate that because I didn't think that it was a vindictive like thing that they were trying to do I, I assumed it was calculated especially with the fourth wall breaking for him to say that like obviously yeah. there's a point they don't break the fourth wall just all the time willy-nilly we're not going to do yeah. that because that changes the show right yeah it's interesting to hear your perspective because I'm happy to know that the characters are protected in a way to to make the show last longer right because yeah. we do want to watch the show so we need to have something and it did set up for that last scene with James and Raquel when they're talking and they have that conversation where she brought up going to the Alcoholics Anonymous yeah, yeah. so yeah. you have to have those uh, the beginning middle and an end I think and and that's that gave it to me personally I, I felt it and I didn't um, I enjoyed listening to her talk I can watch her talk all the time so yeah, too. anytime you want to get her to talk, just talk, just have her a whole show of her doing an interview. And I'm fine with that. Bring on more. Oh my God. Totally, <laughs> totally bring on more I have a, a question from Mallory, my last guest that yeah. I interviewed from real house pins, OC. And yeah. um, she just says, you know, in general, um, is reality TV really that healthy of a behavior to participate in? But I think you kind of touched on that in terms of um, like what you said, would you recommend it? You, you say that you don't, you never say you should or you shouldn't. But yeah. um, so if you just want to like reiterate that point a little bit, just that yeah. for- Yeah, I think, yeah, totally. I think like um, people really focus on the conflict and the sort of trashy things that someone might wear or the egotism or the uh, pettiness of some of the squabbles or the outrageous, uh, character traits of some of the people, and they're really looking in that they're looking in the wrong direction. It's my personal opinion that violent movies, violent cartoons, things that glorify war and the patriarchy, and by that I mean war, is a is a product of the of our patriarchy. Um, those are much more harmful. Like to me, war movies and all those movies of people holding two guns and flying through the air and shooting at people and killing other human beings. Now that to me is garbage TV. I love to see heroes uh, prevail. I love to see people, great dramatic characters 
fight for their survival and, and somehow make it through. You know, I love that aspect of drama, but I'm anti-war, and I think war films and the cult of war, and that includes Marvel characters for some of those shows, much more harmful than reality TV. I think reality TV is the realm of emotion. You know, reality TV is the space where we explore what's valuable to us on a very smaller level, the interpersonal level, the, our own sort of battles and our own struggles to, to get our needs met. You know, there's a simple economics to reality TV, which is that how do these people get what they want? Um, how do they maximize their happiness with what they have, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think in that reason, it's like, if you, in that light, it's like, it's, it's anything but garbage. In many ways, it's one of the only relevant kind of things out there in TV land. You know, if it's not a drama about emotions and getting along, it's, um, it's reality TV. And I, 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 and I really changed about that. I told you I was, I used to be mercenary. I didn't give a rat's ass. Mm-hmm. They all look the same to me is what I used to say. And there's some truth <laughs> to that. But, um, you know, it's the relational aspect that I think is really powerful. And if you look past the pettiness and the sort of the gloss on the, uh, on the cake, you know, there's something much more meaty there. And, uh, and that's, I think, really true. That was well said. Uh, since it was so well said, I just want to know if you would ever consider being a Vandershrink on the show. Any more <laughs> like I'm, I'm so glad that you asked that. Okay, I will never be, I will never be on TV. I, I, you know, on my, on, on my, uh, on my thing, you know, where you can contact me, I let people know up top that I'm, I'll never be on camera. And I'll tell you why. They're, the closest I saw to like a, what I call a real shrink, and I'm sorry for all the therapists out there that I know are real shrinks, but what I mean is a, a therapist as I see it is the, they had a therapist who was on uh, Shaw's season four or five, I can't remember, it was helping Adam and Reza. And he he had the real vibe, and he was sort of more set back and less of a showboater. But um, I find that uh, therapy, in my opinion, might become ineffective once the cameras are there. And um, the cameras and uh, alternative purposes other than the actual therapy sort of pollute the therapy. And I'm not interested in participating in that. And also, there's one other more important reason other than my highfalutin answer I just gave, which is that I'd be hor- I would be the biggest – I know this for a fact. I remember this from uh, uh, um, the te- – not Temptation Island. Um, maybe it was Temptation Island. Yeah, it was Temptation Island from editing Temptation Island season two. I remember I would be the biggest maniac. The camera would be on me all the time because after about three days of drinking liquor and a hot space <laughs> with a bunch of hot women and a bunch of bros breathing down my neck and trying to work out around me, I would like – Blast out of there with a stick of dynamite and be the craziest maniac you never saw. I would lose my mind. So I, I know that like reality TV is not safe for me because I'm a rational <laughs> human being. It's not safe for anybody who's a rational human being because it will it will put you in places you don't want to be. So like likewise, I don't want to be a, 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 on camera doing therapy. You know, I don't want my likeness put out there. I don't want anything I say to go viral. I don't want to have trolls on me. You know, I can make that choice now because I'm older and yeah. uh, have a different perspective. <laughs> your version of yourself on Temptation Island is really funny, and I'd love to see that show. Just I FYI, totally, like, oh, well, yeah. I'll tell you, I, I'm, I'm Naked and Afraid. <laughs> I got really into Naked and Afraid one season, and Matilda, who is a wonderful producer, who's uh, o- over there, um, who does that show. I was like, Matilda, I want to be on the show. I know I could do it. I know I can make it through this. And she was like, actually, we're, we're, she was ready. She wanted. She was ready to put me up for one of the shows. 
And I was like, and I was, you know, already done with my training and I had already gotten all my hours after you do your um, graduate work, you know, you have to go do uh-huh. clinical work. So you work out in the field to get, um, to get all your clinical hours. So you can, you know, it takes a long time. But my point is, is I was like already had my eye on moving forward with my private practice. And I knew that I couldn't get on a reality show buck naked <laughs> in the wild acting crazy. I thought this is going to be horrible for my, um, for what I really want to do. So I really, I had to put the, uh, the brakes on it, but like, I really wanted to be on that show and she was game to put me up for it. I, that would have been my, that would have been so fun. Okay. Here's a plot twist for you. We just yeah. get only a show about therapists on an island naked and afraid but they're all oh therapists God. so you that all are amazing. in it together <laughs> that would be amazing that'd be like it'd be like it'd be like survivor i mean it'd be like yeah. survivor for therapists we'd have like the behaviorists doing all kinds of crazy ass stuff and people like me are yes. more humanists you know they, they're more Jungian side we'd be over there like trying to cast magical spells and then there'd be like the social workers who are like guys 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 that would be amazing and then you have the psychoanalysts who would just be sitting back there like you know hmm Mm, just thinking about stuff and you know <laughs> i think we just came up with a new show i i, I really like that, that. Yeah, I'll therapy island therapy island send one you send someone like jacks you send one superstar oh. from the reality world who's totally out of their minds and what you do is you see who goes insane first jacks is a therapist <laughs> oh my gosh i think that there's like so many of these bravo lebs that we can put on this island we just keep dropping them in like We're dropping them just- yeah, she just drops it. And ends up yeah. ragged with her nails busted, but she's still like, things are great. This is really my happy place. I'm really making this work. Things are perfect. Living my best life. Meanwhile, she's like biting the head off a rat. You know, she's <laughs> my best friend. Yeah, this is my best my friend. This is my best friend. Hi, hey, Wilson. Oh my God. Yeah, she's there with like Wilson. This is my best friend. This is my boyfriend. Oh my God. He can build a raft in seven minutes. Oh, he can go out there and like harpoon wow. fish. He's amazing. He's amazing. <laughs> I'm dying right now. I can't even breathe. This is perfect. I was picturing James out there. He's like, he's bullshit. He's like, Whoa, I'm on an island with therapists. Oh, this is crap. It's crap. Oh, so that's our new show, everybody. That's our plot twist for our new reality television show. Bravo but before Island. I want Bravo Island, Bravo Island. and I actually think that um, once uh, all of our, my listeners listen to this, they're going to start pitching that to Bravo since it's choose your own adventure. <laughs> they'll have no choice to, but to produce this show because it's going to be amazing. I'll, I'll come Last- out of retirement and I'll edit it. What? Now we have to do it, everyone, because yeah. I know your best friend, Rihanna, will want to see you edit more things. Oh, thanks for mentioning that. Shout out to Bill. Hey, Bill, me and my best friend, <laughs> Rihanna. Can you explain to everyone um, how you and Rihanna became best friends? I know, but I'd like everybody else to know because you were editing an episode and it was the drunken night in Mexico, one of many, but this yeah. one in particular stood out to Rihanna, right? Yeah, I, I just I edited, you know, it was just a thing I was editing. I really wasn't thinking much about it, you know. Definitely, sort of high energy, high impact kind of montages are really fun to do for me. You get into the music, you get into the vibe. Um, they're all acting drunk and crazy, and so I just it was like for me and my wheelhouse, it was like a slow ball was pitched to me on a just a sunny day, and I just like knocked it, and I thought, oh, that's good. 
And, um, and I'd had a really tough season too. I don't know that Bill was completely happy with all my work and uh, I, I was stressed and I really wanted to do a great job. And I was afraid that I wasn't doing a great job, even though the stuff looked great. You know, it was all in my head about it. And then the, the, this little montage sequence came on and um, people just went crazy for it and they loved it. And Rihanna retweeted or posted or whatever format she was using. And she said, whoever edited this is my new bestie. And yeah. it was just like this big moment. And I was like, man, I never thought I'd be besties with Rihanna. I felt like it was it was so redemptive for me. I was like, take that, Bill. And he still, and he still mentions it when I see him now and then. He'll, he'll make a little aside because he knows. He, he knows the truth. He knows magic when he sees it. See? And, uh, no, you got me. You got me. Like now, I'm talking like an editor again. Now I'm like Max, and I'm just talking. Tra- I'm just talking trash. You broke me down from like this is like a reality show. Oh my god, wait a minute. I'm in the. I'm in the Matrix. Oh yeah. I came on. I came on with my regular sane self, and, and now I'm like back in the reality pit. What you don't know are there cameras hidden within your house, and Bree oh has my helped. God. <laughs> exactly. I also that same season I had. Uh, I had it's not about the pasta. So I had like in two seasons, I had two like slow balls. That was my scene too. The not about the pasta. Oh, scene. No way. Yes, you sir. were and not can, about I can, the pasta. I can and I can categorically tell individuals out there who still have their head up there. Bleep. It was literally pasta they were talking about. I know that footage probably better than anybody. They were talking about pasta. Pasta made of durum wheat, water, and a little bit of salt, and sometimes egg. They were not talking about cocaine. They were not talking about meth. They were not talking about K. They were talking about pasta. This is amazing. I'm so excited to release this episode. (laughs) This has been fantastic. This is what the world needs right now. I don't care if you're anywhere in the world. As soon as you hear this, you're going to be on another level happy because this is exactly what we wanted to hear. This is real investigative journalism that's happening, and I feel like I'm giving it to the people. You have to come on again. If you don't, I'll be very disappointed because there's a ton more questions that we can go on about, but I want to save some for another time so that way everyone can hear your beautiful voice again. If you will come on again, I would love to have you. I would be so honored, and I value editing and the people who edit, and I value the people who make television and the shows they make. It would be an honor to to boost them and to talk more about the shows, and I've had a really great time. And thank you so much for putting these um, shows together, and I hope people really enjoy them. Thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, Can you tell everybody where they can find you so that if they have any specific questions about Vanderpump Rules or maybe they want to make an appointment with you to I have I have a couple, you know, reality stars that follow me. So maybe they want to get some help. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. They can uh, find me at the reality TV therapist um, and that's on Instagram. And they can also uh, find me on the Web, which is the reality TV therapist dot com. And they can also just go right to my therapy site, which is Echo Park Therapy. So that's Echo. I, I live in the Echo Park neighborhood. Don't come looking for me, people. I'm, I'm fast. I'm in Echo Park. And you can uh, go right to my therapy site, which is echoparktherapy.com. And awesome. uh, I look forward to seeing you all on TV. We look forward to seeing you on TV, Ian. <laughs> Never. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Have a great day. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Too. you. Thank you for joining us. Tune in next time, and remember, stay twisted.